Our reading this morning is coming from the book of Lamentations and reading from chapter 3 and the first 27 verses of that chapter. I am the man who has seen affliction by the wrath of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so that I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughing stock of all my people. They mocked me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is, and so I say, my splendor is gone, and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, and the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Amen. You mock my pain. Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who tells you differently is selling something. And so were the words of Buttercup and Wesley in The Princess Bride. Three-time winner of the Tour de France and the only American to ever win that race, Greg LeMond, speaking of getting fitter, said, It doesn't get any easier. You just go faster. And a man whose name is synonymous with suffering, Job. Job chapter 3, verse 3 said, May the day of my birth perish, and the night it was said, a boy is born. Painful words. In these three quotes, we're introduced to the garment that we must study today, the garment of suffering. Not a garment that you would want to reach for, in your wardrobe of seasons, but one that gets thrust upon us from time to time. And in the three quotes are three very real realities about suffering. Wesley's right. Life is pain. Suffering, pain, hardship is a reality. And it's unavoidable. 
It comes. It happens. Greg Lamont's right. It doesn't get easier. You just go faster. Suffering's probably not something you can escape. But it's something that you can learn to progress through, learn to tolerate, learn to understand, learn to manage. And Job's words should not be overlooked. Suffering can be all-consuming and cause one to grieve of life itself. It's a very real thing and the weight of what's before us this morning doesn't escape me. As I thought about speaking this morning on the garment of suffering, there were three words I wanted to share before I really get going. They are competition, qualifying, and sorry. They might sound strange words, but let me, let me explain. Competition. Something weird can happen to us when we talk about suffering and hardship. We start to look sideways. And maybe you wouldn't verbalize this. Maybe in your pain you would. As you look sideways, you say they wouldn't understand. They haven't suffered like I've suffered. You don't get it. You weren't there. You wouldn't understand. I hear you and you're seen, but I want to encourage you that the spirit of competition that says someone else wouldn't get it, and I might be that someone else, that spirit of competition does you no good does no one any good to say no one else would get it they can't get it it's just me you're right we may not understand what you have been through in humility brother sister please understand that you also may not understand what they've been through the other word is qualify Sometimes when a word like suffering, which comes along so weighty and heavy, you hear it, you hear pain, suffering, and you think, oh, this isn't about me. That's for the people who have really been through it. You know, it breaks my heart how many times uh, I've had people who I've had the pleasure of doing church with come to me after a season of difficulty and say, I didn't say anything because there are people going through harder things than me. I think, what, you think God's going to run out of ears for our prayers? think his church is going to run out of resources i doubt it and so i want to encourage you if you're thinking oh this suffering thing that's for the people who've been through the heavy stuff not me i shouldn't take no you qualify can i say if it's hard for you then it's hard if it's hard for you then it's hard you're in this is for you as well and the final word is sorry And the sorry is broad because I'm sorry for you and I need to say I'm sorry for whatever uh, you may have been through or be going through that perhaps might make some of this difficult to listen to. I also want to say that I'm sorry for the broad brushstrokes that I have to use this morning. Uh, Broad brushstrokes that will cause me to be inattentive to five chapters of profound scripture. I can't, I just can't manage them all. And broad brushstrokes that mean that it would be impossible and not appropriate for me to speak into the circumstances of each person's suffering. Can I say we can't do group therapy? But I think we can hear from God's word. And from God's word, I do believe that he has some real insight for us, some wisdom and his very self to lead us through the seasons or the garment of suffering that we must from time to time wear. 
Let me offer a word of prayer that the Lord might be with us as I try and lead us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the concept of suffering and hardship is certainly known to you for our Lord Jesus tasted it. He put on flesh that flesh might be pierced. But in your power over all things, including hardship, he took on flesh that flesh might be pierced, but also that flesh might be risen, glorified, and stand on the dust of the earth again someday in glory and victory over death, sin, suffering, hardship, ready to wipe away every tear. And so, Lord God, where your word comforts us this morning, we give you thanks. Where your word challenges us, Lord, we ask your strength to come with you. Where I get it wrong, Lord, block their ears and delete it from my brain. Where I get it right, Lord, may that be amplified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want to say that I have learned from Lamentations about the garment of suffering is this. Order your pain... Or your pain will order you. Order your pain, or your pain will order you. See, what we have here is one of those situations where it's very easy to miss the forest for the trees. Uh, Unfortunately, we have to read the Bible through... Uh, translators of whom I am dependent. I don't have Hebrew. Uh, And so there are things that are easily missed. One of the things that could be missed is the very structure of this book, Lamentations. I'm so grateful to the publishers of my devotional Bible, the one I read from at home. It's, It's a Holman Standard Christian Bible. Here's a page from it. It looks like this. Um, you see all the bits that I've highlighted later on the computer? They are lessons of the Hebrew alphabet. That's not in every Bible. It's not in this one that I've got here. But what that alerts us to is something of the structure of Lamentations. Did you know that this book has five chapters and each chapter, well, the first four chapters are all acrostic poems. What's in acrostic? Remember, like on Mother's Day, we're in your primary school, and you write mother down the page, you write M for marvelous, O for outstanding, for tops mum you you know that's what you do um that's what's happening in lamentations can you believe in the midst of such grief not just personal grief but societal grief this author has gone to the pains of ordering out the experience to the point of writing four acrostic poems and five poems in total of the five poems 22 verses in each. You say, wait, chapter 3 has 66 verses. That's 22 times 3. He's expanded each of the verses, which comes to us as 66. Such is his ordering and structure in this that he has approached this pain and turmoil he feels, which he explains with all the emotive language you'd expect, which he explains with descriptive accounts of what's going on. But did you also notice that he progresses He says, these are the things that are happening. This is how I feel about it. Here he's got, and he's progressing with his poems. He gets to a point. He orders the pain. He expresses the pain. He's descriptive. He progresses, but he's not rushed. I can't put it better than uh, Professor Barry Webb, who wrote the book Five Festal Garments. This is uh, a quote from Barry, who says... 
of Lamentations, the grief is shaped and led to a conclusion, a point of completedness, where everything necessary has been said, at least for the time being. And the mourner can fall silent without feeling he's been stifled. Do you see what's happening here? It's very easy to miss the forest for the trees if you're not attentive to the structure of the book of Lamentations and the way that this author has gone about expressing his pain. And he's expressed his pain. He's got it all out to the point that it's all out, but he hasn't rushed through it. And here is one of the great wisdom lessons for the day. It helps to order the pain. Not to avoid it. Not to just dry your eyes, princess. Not to be like, oh, it's all awful. No, press in, get brave. Order the pain. This is the psalmist in Psalm 42. When he is uh, distraught, he says, why are you downcast, my soul? That's a brave step sometimes. Uh, when you have trauma, suffering, or pain, you want to step away from it. He said, why are you downcast, my soul? Let me get curious and let me explore these circumstances and my reaction and emotion to them. Why are you downcast, my soul? And then he goes on to explain, as does the author of Lamentations. Order your pain or your pain will order you. It makes sense to talk it out. You knew that. That's why bottling it up is not a great idea. That's why the competitive spirit that says, oh, they wouldn't understand. Try them. Talk it through. That's why counselling is a good idea. Sometimes you don't know how to talk it out and it takes someone with a little bit of skill to ask the right questions to help get it out. Maybe it's an alphabet acrostic poem that says, A, what do you feel about A? I, I don't know Hebrew. What do you feel about the Hebrew equivalent for B? What do you, you know? Maybe that's a counselor who says, how did that make you feel? What's going on here? What did you think then? To talk it out, to write it out is powerful because the words stay on the page and they don't shift around and you can read them back and it provides a real structure, just like this guy. Maybe you're wired in such a way you want to draw it out. You want to paint it out. But you want to get it out. And the best place to get it out is, of course, when you take it to the Lord and you pray it out. And you speak it to him. And you order the pain rather than have the pain order you. Uh, this is known in the world of psychology as well. If you want, if you want a, a resource to have a look at, it's not a Christian book, it's a psychology book. Uh, Steve Peters, The Chimp Paradox. Uh, is a helpful way to sort of learn from the scientific world that has learnt what the Bible was already declaring, that it helps to get it out. Uh, I won't go into the chimp thing for you, but I'll put it to you another way. You have a distraught child who's going through their own trauma. Like I said, you qualify. If it's hard for you, then it's hard. And the kid is really upset. What do you do? Do you just speak reason into them? No, this is silly what you're thinking right now. In one of those weaker parenting moments, you might. What, is, what does a skilled, wise parent do? Pops it down at their level. What's the matter, sweetie? <laughs> oh, that was so mean to me. <laughs> I lost my pencil case. <laughs> You're being silly. You're being silly. Stop. You don't say that. What else, honey? <laughs> and then Timmy did this thing. And everyone hates me. 
your role right there is to get it out. Get them to get it out. Because the hysterical, uh, reactionary mindset that we go into, and Peter talks about this with, with the chimp paradox, it's like your inner chimp is going crazy. You can't overpower it. You can't just speak reason. You're being silly. Get it out. Exercise the whole thing. And then let us speak reality into this. Let us speak perspective into this. Let us move forward. What is the matter is a question that is not just reserved for a distraught three-year-old. What is the matter was a good question for the psalmist. What is the matter is what the author of Lamentations spent five poems expressing. And what is the matter is a good thing for you to be aware of and communicate with another, especially God. Don't rush. Resolve to move forward. But don't rush. Now, this is contra some of the wisdom that we will offer one another from time to time you'll hear in the world. Uh, don't rush is contrary to get over it. Go and dry your eyes, princess. Get over it. Man up. That tends to want us to race through. But maybe there's a process that's required. And maybe next time around you're a stronger person and move through the process quicker. But hard to you is hard. Walk a process. Get it out. What's the matter? Resolve to move forward. This is contrary to the worldly uh, encouragement sometimes to remain a victim. Wallow and whinge about it. Everyone will feel sorry for you. Be a victim. Sometimes you are a victim. A victim's goal is not to stay a victim. A victim's goal is to become a survivor to become a survivor, to move through the season. The wisdom I received from Lamentations from the very beginning, get it out. Don't rush, but resolve to move forward, even if the steps are tiny. Forward, forward, forward. Second thing from Lamentations is challenge your lovers. Chapter 1. Chapter 1 First two verses say this. It won't be on the screen, but I'll read it to you. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. This is a really great summary of Israel, directed particularly here at Judah. These were a people who were like a bride to God, who wanted to protect them, who wanted to love them, who wanted to bless them, be a great husband. But the people of Israel, Judah in this case, went after all the other lovers. They loved the nations. They loved their ways. They worshipped their gods. Uh, if you want to get a real microcosm snapshot of this, look at Solomon, uh, their king of one time, who had the opportunity to be a wise man under God. We read Song of Solomon's the other week. He was so infatuated with one woman, but it wasn't enough. Solomon loved many foreign women and was persuaded by them to go after their gods. 
In the same way, Israel hasn't remained chaste to their Lord. They've got involved with the nations and their ways. And now it's all come down. And the lovers that they had, those that brought them pleasure, those that brought them power and allegiance are nowhere to be found. Except for one, the Babylonians, they're found as their masters as now Judah are captive under them. And here comes the story, idols always bring slavery. Look at chapter 1, verse 14, it'll be on the screen. Uh, The lamenter says, my sins have been bound into a yoke by his hands, by God's hands. They were woven together. They have been hung on my neck and the Lord has sapped my strength. He has given me into the hands of those I cannot withstand. This is what God does. When people ask for other gods, he hands them over to it. You might remember this from Romans chapter 1. Three times uh, we're told in Romans chapter 1. So God gave them over to the desires of their heart. When they chased other lovers who weren't God, God gave them over. In fact, the language of gave them over is God gave them a shove in the direction they wanted. God gives them over, not because he hates them, but because he wants them to see these lovers aren't your God. These are idols. And this is what's happened for these, uh, the, these people of Judah, these Jews. Their lovers aren't to be found. Instead, they're in slavery. Uh, Tim Keller, who has an excellent treatment on this in his book, Counterfeit Gods, which I commend to everybody to read. Uh, Keller says this, idols, that is things we trust in that aren't God, idols control us since we feel like we must have them or life is meaningless. Or in the context of suffering, maybe idols control us since we feel we must have them or life is too hard to bear. Can't face it without. I just need a... And these things become our fortress, our our safe place, our cornerstone, our hope. They're idols. They provide distraction and they provide escape. And I get it. I'm as sinful as you, probably worse. Sometimes a distraction or escape from the hardship of life, whether that's just the mundane, boom, 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 or the real traumatic things that come, sometimes you just wish you were anywhere else. And it's okay to take a day off from your struggle. Let me say that. Respite is not a bad thing. But distraction and escape is a dangerous space to be. This is where things like substance abuse, things like porn, things like adrenaline, these things that purely distract and move us away, they become masters and we become slaves. Even the noble sounding ones like, just stay busy, just stay busy. Sounds so noble. How you been? Oh, busy, mate. It's not noble to say busy. It's just a thing. It may be an idol if busy is your distraction from pressing in and saying, why are you downcast, my soul? It's time for me to order my pain because right now my pain's ordering me. It's calling the shots. You know, some years ago, I came into a situation with a couple who uh, domestic abuse had touched their lives, the hands of the husband. Uh, To my best understanding, the abuse had stopped, but the effects of it continue. 
as you understand. A Christian couple, both had been very much involved in the life of their church. As I came to understand from both of them, as a result of what transpired, she spent most of her days in bed next to the radio. And they both said to me, why can't I get away from the radio? And it seemed to make sense to me straight away. It didn't take a whole lot of insight. The radio was just a wonderful distraction from the life that uh, she tragically needed to press into and understand now. Uh, the radio that started as a distraction became something of a master where I guess she became, what do you call it, agoraphobic, where she wouldn't leave the house, just stay near the radio and hear about all the lives that are happening out there because that distracts me from mine. And don't hear me making light of what that family went through. And I praise God, they're, they're still working. They're still, but outside of a miracle from him, healing's going to be really tough. But you see how distractions and escape can become master and make you a slave. So God calls us through lamentations to the third thing I'd share with you on this garment of sufferings, to renew your perspective. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 1, How the Lord has covered daughter Zion with the cloud of his anger. He has hurled down the splendor of Israel from heaven to earth. He has not remembered his footstool in the days of his anger. This is a sad story for Israel. Uh, We seem to recount it a lot. I'm glad I'm not them. Uh, But time and again, we hear how Israel had a chance of being God's treasured possession. Deuteronomy 28 is really great because it reminds us, God says, look, if you just receive my blessing and be my people, it's going to be great. You'll be blessed. If you forsake me and go after others, you'll forsake my blessing and you'll be cursed. It'll be horrible. Here we meet Israel, Judah specifically, on the cursed side of Deuteronomy 28. They're under the judgment of God who has sent the Babylonians to take them into exile. Hence the lamenting, hence the hardship, hence the city lying deserted, hence the pain. And as the reading continues and comes to chapter 2 verse 14, which will come up for you, Here are some important words that will bless us as well. God says, The visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin to ward off your captivity. The prophecies they gave you were false and misleading. What he's saying to the people of Judah is, Your prophets, those who provided God's social commentary, they told you everything was okay. They told you sunny days. They said, we're okay. We're special to God. They didn't say, you need to repent because you're wicked and evil and your sin is mounting up. So they they didn't give you the inconvenient truth and call you to change your ways. They did you a misservice. Oh, they were fun to listen to. They didn't love you. They did you a misservice. Our situation is not the same as Israel's. However, I think we probably also need to just be careful to adjust our expectation of our time right now. Uh, The late John Chapman, a beloved evangelist in Sydney, used to say, you know, if Sydney's not heaven, it's the next best thing. He didn't mean Wollongong, though Wollongong is better. 
what he was trying to communicate was life here is so sweet and so good you might not cry out for more you might expect this is as good as it gets and surely for this generation and i say that for me those of you younger those of you older for our generation it's been pretty good has it not we're in a pandemic that means oh you can't have all my normal freedoms and it freaks us out a little bit i can't even imagine what it was like for the war generations where the wrong color car pulls up outside your house and a horrible feeling comes over your whole body where you also listen to the radio waiting to hear news because you've got someone serving in the armed forces to live in parts of the world where persecution is a real thing. You see, our existence here in sunny Wollongong, Australia, is not normal, it's abnormal. Man, this COVID thing is kind of a blessing because it's giving us a little bit of a taste of reality. Uh, The Bible says that the world is in subject to decay. Hard to believe. How hard? That's hard to believe sometimes when you live where we live. There's a lot of great things. Sorry, as that escaped my mouth, I realized that was insensitive. As some of the things that please our eyes may not be uh, fooling you, and you might be say, saying, no, 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 it's not hard for me to believe. So I, I, I backpedal from that, I'm sorry. But there's a lot of concrete reminders in our world right now that would say, it's pretty good, right? When something goes wrong, that, 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 that's weird. Death is a 100% reality for everybody. Let that be the first marker that things aren't okay. Sickness tends to touch everybody. Hardship and suffering is part of life. This is a world that is fallen, it's broken, it's in bondage to decay. And if something goes good today, then that's a blessing, not just an expectation or an entitlement. We're meant to be dead. The scriptures clearly say that's what we deserve. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. But advertisers keep telling me about the things I deserve. Don't you deserve better? No, I deserve death. Don't you deserve? Don't your children deserve? No, they deserve death too. And this is a broken world that will be only too happy to deliver it for them. It's really, really hard. Don't believe the hype. Don't misinterpret those apocalyptic visions we get in Scripture, like Revelation. You know the four horsemen of the apocalypse that will happen one day? Uh Uh-uh, happening now. That's a misinterpretation of Revelation. Famine, now. Pestilence, now. Death, now. All of those ponies are galloping right now. Daniel's vision, Daniel 7 of the monstrous beasts, they were beasts of history and now this is how the world treats one another. When you tear back the nice cover of fabric and society and God gives you a little snapshot, he goes, it's beastly down there. It's awful, it's hard. It re- I was really serious in Genesis 3 when I said, you know, this is, this is going to be a problem between you and I. Cursed is the land because of you. It feels uncomfortable to stand before nice people and say such yuck things, but they're true things. And I'm a false teacher if I don't remind us of these true things. The world is seriously messed up. It's in bondage to decay. 
we have to renew our perspective and anticipate just like Greg LeMond does every time he gets on a bike doesn't matter how fit I am I'll go faster it's going to be hard I'm going to suffer it's just part of life on planet earth in this time in this time which brings us to sunnier places thank the Lord finally we're reminded in Lamentations put your hope in the Lord Look at chapter 3, verse 21 to 24. Oh, don't we need to hear this? Yet this I call to mind. Oh, and I'm so glad you do, Mr. Lamentations. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Now this is a moment of what I would call comparing resumes. Because chapter 3 started, and thanks for reading it for us, Alan, started with the author saying, I am the man who has seen affliction. What's a resume? What's your backstory? What have you been involved in? What's your experience been? The author says, well, I'm a man who's been involved in a bunch of frustration, hardship, and toil. It's really sucked, and God was there. He was a part of it, and my backstory is awful. And so if you're looking for a take on reality, listen to me. Reality is awful. But then he comes to, chapter, to verse 21, and he says, Yet this I call to mind. I pass my resume to one side and I pick up the resume of God. And of God's resume, I hear of some very wonderful attributes. I read of his... We good, Luke? Awesome. I read of his great love, his compassion, his mercies, and that he's my portion. My resume says experienced in hardship. God's resume says full of chesed. We learnt about chesed last week. Kindness, steadfast love, loyalty, love that doesn't run out, doesn't grow weary, doesn't abandon, but keeps going. And he says, because of God's steadfastness, his kindness, his chesed, his mercy, his enduring love, his loyalty, despite the fact that all our lovers have bailed on us and hardship is with us, God stuck around. Despite the fact that my resume says, you know you're really part of the problem, a screwed up world is because you're screwed up too. Because you sin, you know you deserve death by the way. God doesn't hold you in jail. He says, well, my resume says my blessings are new, my mercies are new every morning. Each day you can get a fresh start. Each day everything on your resume that's no good, we'll tear that up and we'll put mine there instead and we'll start with what I say. How's that sound? And to everyone in Lamentations, including the Lamenter who says, we've got nothing left, everyone's abandoned us, our city is destroyed, my life is over, this is horrible. God says, I'll be your portion you can have of me see all these things run out but i'm god who doesn't run out so why don't you have of me and finally the book comes to an end in chapter 5 with a prayer 21 verse 21 to 22 restore us to yourself lord that we may return renew our days as of old 
unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. So there's the hope. Restore us because we know you're powerful enough to. Are you still willing? Or are you done with us? Some years later, as I suspect you're aware, God will resoundly say, I'm not done with you. No, in my chesed, my steadfast love, my son will take on flesh and dwell among you. Light will come into the darkness, though the world preferred darkness. A saviour will come, one who will die to pay for your sin, that it might be separated as far as the east is from the west. And I will not leave you alone. The Lord will be your portion. What does that mean? Well, though the physical world may fail you and will be disappointing, I will send my Holy Spirit who will live in you and among you, uniting you with myself. And the Lord, me, I will be your portion. Your true lover will never leave you. I am the Lord who loves and I will live with you through every season. I'm not done with And that is God's message to us wherever we find ourselves wearing the garment of suffering. I'm not done with you. This garment you will wear for a chapter. But the story I'm writing with you has not ended. Put your hope in me. Come with me. And so I finish this morning with words that the Spirit gave the Apostle Paul to write on this very topic in Romans chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes? for what they already have. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you that in him there is hope and your answer that you are not done with us. Father God, we pray that having learnt from this book Lamentations that in these inevitable times of suffering you would by your spirit empower us and make us brave to order our pain as hard as that can be Lord help us to press in and understand why are you downcast my soul Lord God we pray that you would lead us gently by your spirit in repentance Help us to turn away from the false props, the idols, the things that enslave us. Lord God, grant us a perspective of the world that we live in that we might earnestly pray, come Lord Jesus, this world is broken. And Father, we ask that we might put our hope in you, 
For despite all the things we've experienced and experienced that are loaded on our resume, your resume is better. It's one of chesed. It's one of mercy. And it's one with an eternal portion that you grant us freely. And so may our hope be in you. And may you shepherd us through the darkness of suffering. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.